Thanks, Denver. Good morning. Uh, it's so good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, and I really want you to know that I say that, I say that every time I speak. Um, but it's, it's not just a, a pleasantry. It's not just a thing, the throwaway line. Um, it's, it's really, I, I mean it. Because there's nothing more important that we can do than to worship God together as a family, as his bride, as his people. So um, just know when I say that, when I say it's, uh, it's good to be here, I'm grateful for you, or, or I'm honored to be here, or whatever, um, that's not just a thing to say it. Uh, it's, 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 I, I really mean it. Um, so my name's TJ. I am a member of the leadership team here at Freshwater. I am a life group leader, um, and I'm on the eldership track here at Freshwater Church. Uh, for those of you uh, who don't know, what that means basically is I'm, I'm not a pastor here at this church uh, yet. I'm training to go in that direction to become one, but, uh, um, but I'm not currently a pastor at this church. But both of our pastors are currently on vacation with their families, so uh, what that means is I get to preach today. Um, and I, uh, so, but first, don't worry, I submit all, all my sermons uh, to the eldership team before I teach them because really it's their, it's their accountability, it's their responsibility to make sure that the word is taught faithfully, um, and that's what they're held accountable for, so uh, as long as I stay on script, we should be good to go, um, but uh, yeah, so this is week 17 in our sermon series through the book of Philippians. We're calling this series Divine Humility, and there are quite a few ways we could have gone with this, uh, this sermon t- series title. Uh, we, there are a few recurring themes in Philippians. Uh, Paul talks frequently about joy, suffering, confidence, encouragement. There are a lot of big, over, overwhelmingly large identity uh, or I- ideas here in this, in this small letter. Uh, but we find that at the heart of what Paul is trying to convey to this church is, is first and foremost Jesus Christ and, and his glory and goodness. So no shockers there. But, but really what Paul really homes in on in terms of advice for this church in Philippi is, is related to unity by way of humility, and humility that can only come by the power of God, therefore divine humility. Um, and today's passage is part of a kind of segue from his opening thoughts into the main idea of this letter. Uh, so without further ado, today we will be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. So I'll give you a moment to, to turn or scroll there, uh, depending on your, your method of biblical usage. Um, So yeah, take a moment and um, just kind of continue here in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. If you are the kind of person who likes to take notes or wants to know where I'm headed, uh, here's, here's kind of a rough outline for you. The, bi- the big question we're going to answer this morning is about that phrase, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Question one, we're going to ask about that. What, is it, what does that even mean? So what, what does it mean for your life to be worthy of the gospel of Christ? What does that phrase mean? And question two, what are the effects of living a life being worthy of the gospel of Christ? So what, what, does, it, what does it do? 
And then third, how can we pursue a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Uh, so what can we do? So really it's the, those three questions. What does it mean for your life to be worthy of the gospel of Christ? Two, what does it look like to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? And three, what must we do to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? So a quick recap here in the book of Philippians. Paul addresses this letter to the Philippian church from himself and Timothy, who are servants or slaves to Christ Jesus. He encourages them and thanks God for them as they have displayed a faithfulness to God in partnership with Paul for the sake of the gospel. He tells them how confident he is that, he, that they will continue to see the good work of God in them and reminds them of how confident that he is that he will consent, continue to see that good work and how much he cares for them and their growth. Uh, he calms their fears surrounding his arrest as Paul was imprisoned in Rome when he wrote this letter. So he lets them know that not only is he okay, but he's, he's actually thrilled uh, with how his imprisonment is contributing to the advancement of the gospel. He celebrates it. He rejoices. And he will continue to rejoice because he knows that through the prayers and the power of the Holy Spirit, he will stand firm in the faith and Christ will be honored. If he continues to live... Christ. If he dies, gain. If he continues to live, he will preach the gospel with the zeal of a crazy person. Uh, if he dies, the world will see just how much he loves Jesus and how devoted he is to Christ and how much satisfaction he has in the Lord. Plus, he gets to depart and be with Christ, and Jesus is, is what he wants more than anything. But he knows that in staying, he will experience the joy of Jesus Christ by helping the Philippians grow in joy in the faith. So, yeah, he's going to go with that. Um, so then, then he continues with this opening line of today's text. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we need to dissect that phrase there because it's, uh, it's kind of a doozy. Because as people in Springfield, Missouri in the year 2023, we might, we might be inclined to read that verse like this. Well, just live in a way that, that shows you deserve the gospel of Christ. Like Paul is telling them that he's, he's going to help them have joy in the Lord, and he's going to help them grow in the faith, and all they have to do in the meantime is never sin and be perfect people. Uh, it's that easy. Come on, guys. Just, uh, just, just live your life in a, in a way that deserves the gospel. Well, of course, he's not saying that. Um, but what is he saying? What does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? So the word worthy seen here in this verse uh, is the Greek word axios. Typically, when we use the word worthy in English, we're saying that somebody or something is somehow deserving of a specific type of treatment. We say God is worthy of worship, and he is. He, he deserves to be worshipped. Uh, you might hear the word cringeworthy, uh, which means that something uh, deserves for us to kind of cringe at it, like, oh, that's, I don't like that, to dislike it or to shy away from it. Uh, in a fantasy series or a myth or a legend, you know, only the hero is worthy of wielding the, the weapon that is, he, only he deserves to, to use the, the, the hammer or the sword or, or what have you. But axios means something a little bit different. For reference, this is the same word used by John the Baptist in Luke 3.8. We don't have it, and you can turn there if you want, but uh, it's kind of a short verse where he gives this advice to the people who came to be baptized by him. And he says this, bear fruit in keeping with repentance or 
bear fruit, axios, repentance. Or, bear fruit worthy of repentance. So using this verse, we get kind of a, a better idea of what that word worthy really means. John the Baptist isn't telling people that they need to do things that deserve repentance. He's not telling them to go out and go, go on and sin. Go, go do things that, that deserve repentance. That's not, that's not what he's saying. He's telling them to do works in keeping with repentance. In other words, because you have repented or if you have repented, prove it. Act like it. So question number one, what does it mean to let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ? It means that you let your life be informed by the gospel. It means that since we have received the gospel, we should act in a way that proves that we have or that shows that we have. But what would, what would that look like? What does that, what does that do? What are, what are the effects of that kind of living? Thankfully, Paul continues, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. So Paul tells the Philippian church to walk in a manner that reflects their participation in the gospel and it will result in them for being known for, for a few different things. And these traits that he, that he wants them to have are going to be the marks that they are indeed living in their gospel-informed identity. And Paul is saying that if they're successful, it's going to be such a, such a big deal, such an impactful thing, such a noteworthy truth about them that he'll hear about it even if he's still all the way back in Rome. So live in this way, and then regardless of whether I'm there or not, I'll, I'll hear about it. Like, this is how impactful it's going to be. So what are, what are these traits? What, what does this gospel-worthy life look like to Paul? Firstly, they'll be known for standing firm in one spirit. So that's, that's what the passage says just next, is standing firm in one spirit. The, this idea of standing firm is one that, that Paul likes a lot. It shows up in many of his letters, and probably it probably means what you think it means. Uh, it's a phrase he uses to describe this, this uh, doing something in, in, to the point where you can't be convinced to move away from it. Uh, so standing firm has to do with, with staying the course. Uh, so we have 2 Thessalonians 2.15. In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul says this. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So, so standing firm is continuing to do the things Jesus commanded them to do. And in, in the case for the Philippians, Paul tells them to stand firm in one spirit. And this idea of this, of this shared spirit is a reference to their unity in the Holy Spirit or, or the Spirit of Christ. We should also have 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. And it says it in this way. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink or to partake of one spirit. So Paul says that living a life 
worthy of the gospel of Christ is characterized by being certain of their union in the spirit and not being pushed away from that. Stand firm in the fact that you are in one spirit. He wants them to remember that their unity in the spirit is, is there. He wants them to stay the course in that remembrance. The second thing Paul hopes to see from the people of the church in Philippi is that they're living a gospel-worthy life is, is that they have one mind and they are striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And the, and the terms one mind and side by side are kind of echoing that first point, right? Like the, this, is, this is more unity talk. And Paul really wants them to get this unity thing, right? In one spirit, with one mind, side by side, strive for the faith of the gospel. So, so what is this striving, though, for the, for the faith of the gospel? I, I love the Greek word for striving side by side. The, the Greek word is synathleo. Um, that, that, that might ring a bell. Um, the, the word, the root athleo is where we get the word athlete or athletics. Um, kind, of, kind of reads in this way, like Paul is kind of making an ancient reference to, to some sports team. Um, like he's telling them he hopes to see them as teammates in, in some sense or another. Um, so, so what are they teammates for? Like what, what is this for lack of a better term, game that they're playing. It's not a game, but what is this, what is this goal they're attempting to accomplish for, for the faith of the gospel? Be teammates for the faith of the gospel. What, what's that? What is the faith of the gospel? And, and, and how do we strive for that? To me, this reads as two possibilities. Uh, spoilers, I, I, think it's, I think it's both. I, I don't think it's one or the other. I don't think we have to choose. I think it's both of them. Striving together for the faith of the gospel could, could be a poetic term for uh, evangelism. If, some, if someone updates Paul that the Philippian church, uh, is, and, and he hears that they're just, they're just going crazy and spreading the good news to everyone they meet, and everyone that even comes within a 50-mile radius of Philippi becomes a Christian, um, I, I think he'd call that a life worthy of, of the gospel of Christ. But I also think it means this, literally this, what we, what we are doing currently, right now, is striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And that's, that's why I said at the, at the very beginning of the sermon, uh, when, I, when I say I'm glad to be here with you guys, or it's, it's a pleasure, or, or it's a privilege, or I'm honored, I, I mean it, because this is, this is what striving side by side for faith of the gospel is. This is, what, this is what we do. We come here and we sing to each other, sing to the Lord, yes, but also sing for the benefit of each other, that we remind each other gospel truths. And I stand up here, somebody stands up here and, and reads the Bible and teaches, and, and yes and amen, but we get to do this to each other. We get to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. So when we do these worship services, we are really trying to accomplish two main things. In short, there's, there's two main things. One, worship God, and two, edify the body. We encourage and build each other up, and we, and we worship the Lord, for he's worthy of worship. In this way, we work. We strive side by side to bolster each other's faith in the saving work of the gospel of Christ. And again, I don't see this as an either-or. Paul hopes to hear that this church in Philippi is letting their lives be worthy of the gospel of Christ in the way that they 
evangelize, yes, and build each other up to increase faith in the gospel among the saints and the believers. The third thing that Paul says he hopes to see is that the Philippians would not be frightened in anything by their opponents. Uh, for me, this point's probably the easiest to, to comprehend, to, to get, quote-unquote, but it's, it's probably the hardest to apply. I assume I'm not alone in this. For the Philippians, this was a concept that was probably very tangible to them. Uh, I mean, they're, they're receiving this letter from a man who is imprisoned by, by the highest known power in the world. And why? Why is this man imprisoned by the highest known power in the world? Well, he was preaching the gospel that he's telling them to keep at the core of every action and thought. <laughs> and, and prison isn't the worst that Paul has faced. This man's been shipwrecked, exiled, stoned nearly to death, beaten. Uh, he's been brought within literal inches of an executioner's sword multiple times. And the Philippians know this. They're, they're under that same government. They're under that same rule. They have the same opposition. And Paul is telling this church to live in a way that their reputation is one of a group of people who are not afraid of prison, who are not afraid of being stoned, of being exiled, having their families taken from them, being tortured, being killed. That's the anything of their opponents. You know, we, we think about <laughs> how inconvenient it would be to, oh, I might, you know, lose my job, I guess, is, is, is probably the one among the worst. And, and don't get me wrong, that's a terrible thing. And I, but don't be frightened in anything, including <laughs> being tortured, being killed. This is what the Philippian church is facing. And that lack of fear is, is worthy of the gospel of Christ. You can't have that level of courage without trusting in the Lord and seeking his glory. You can only have this level of courage if you really believe the same thing that Paul has been describing for the last few verses, the, the verses we've been for the past month or two. If, if I know that Jesus will be magnified in my body, whether I live or if I die, I know that I will find my satisfaction in him, whether I stay in the flesh and help deliver the gospel or I die and go to be with Jesus, what, what could anyone possibly do to me? Plenty of things to make me sad or angry, yes, but they can do nothing that can generate a sadness or an anger so deep that it overpowers the joy that I have in Christ. Amen. So when Paul sees these traits of standing firm in unity, striving for faith, and courage in Christ, he sees a life worthy of the gospel. But that opposition we were talking about, the, this, this group of people who would oppose Christ and therefore his people, what do they see? Continue on in verse 28. This, and that means all those things Paul hopes to hear about the Philippian church, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. So there's kind of like a, almost a hidden additional attribute or effect here of, of living a life worthy of the gospel. If our manner of life 
is worthy of the gospel of Christ, it shows those who oppose us that they are condemned and headed for destruction by way of the wrath of God. It also shows them that we are saved from that same destruction by the very same God whose wrath will be poured out on them. That's wild. Uh, how, can, how can our manner of life give off that sort of information? How can, how can the way that we live give that indication to people? And I admit to having buried the lead here for a bit of dramatic effect. Um, I couldn't help it. That's, uh, I, I really wanted to <laughs> give this. This is the kind of the, the big point, right? Uh, the, last, the last three words of this passage are really the key to understanding all of it. That from God. What's from God? All of it. Every single element that's going on here is, is from God. The salvation, clearly from God, yes. But also, the, the destruction. What are we saved from? God's wrath. The destruction of those who would oppose us is also from God. The sign of their destruction and our salvation, also from God, the very sign. In fact, all of these attributes that Paul hopes to see in the Philippian church, all of these ways one's manner of life is proven to be worthy of the gospel of Christ, are actually, those are functions of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, hopefully all this talk of unity, steadfastness, humility, joy, truth, faith should sound somewhat familiar to those of you that have been around at Freshwater for a little while. Uh, because if you've been coming to our church for, for more than a few months, you'll remember we just finished a series in the Gospel of John we called To Know and Believe in chapters 15 and 16 of John, Jesus is talking to the apostles just before he's taken away to be crucified. And in, and in his infinite wisdom, Jesus chose the topic of one of his final conversations before his death to be unity. Unity with God through himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. Looking at, looking at just a piece of this conversation, we can see every single effect of a life worthy of the gospel of Christ being accomplished by the Holy Spirit. So hold your place in Philippians, uh, but also let's go ahead and turn to John 15, John chapter 15, um, and we will be in verse 26. We'll start there and read all the way until chapter 16, verse 15. So starting in John 15, 26, I'll give you a second to turn over there. While you're, while you're turning pages, I'll ask you to be looking for these attributes of living worthy of the gospel of Christ and the way that they show up in this passage. Uh, so standing firm in, this, in one spirit uh, with, with one mind, striving side by side, not being frightened in anything and, and improving uh, our salvation and their destruction. Uh, actually, I recommend doing this for, for, you know, obviously everywhere in the Bible, but specifically uh, in John 15 through 17. Um, really, just just read that with, with this mentality in mind, and, and it's, it's really amazing. But for this morning, we'll just start in John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, 
They're striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. There's standing firm in one spirit. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their, hour, when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. There's courage in the face of the opposition. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Here's the sign to the world of their destruction and our salvation. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And that sentence right there should bring courage and a sign of salvation and a sign of, their, of the enemy's destruction. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So all of these things, all of these aspects of a life worthy of the gospel, all of these good things are from God. All of them. Let's read today's passage again in that light. So back to Philippians 1, 27 and 28. Now with the realization that all of this is from God directly. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So, if all of these things come from God, what's our, what's our part in this? Last big question. How can we pursue a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? I'm speaking to Christians here. How can we pursue a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Because remember, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, it, it has already impacted you. You're just displaying that. So how do we do that? We receive the Spirit with gladness. We ask that the Spirit show us the truth. We humbly submit to that truth and believe it. And we help each other know and believe that the gospel is true for us. For those of us here who are already Christians, you'll know that we've already received the Spirit. And he, he's already showing us the truth and continuing to do so. And we have believed him. 
And so our practical step is really just that last one. In short, we just need to remember what's true and remind each other as often as we can. When Paul tells the Philippian church, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, he's telling them that since they already have the gospel of Christ, the only thing they need to do is believe that. Just remember that. Just act like it. Because acting like you have been affected by the gospel of Christ isn't somehow trying to retroactively deserve the gospel of Christ. It's acting in a way where you can trust that the gospel of Christ has been given to you. Walk in accordance with the gospel of Christ that has already impacted you. He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. And don't you dare forget it. That's what Paul is saying. If you feel like this comes up every week in this church, good. I, I, hope, that, I hope that you feel that way. I hope you feel like this is all we ever talk about. I, I remember as I first started to get excited about some of the intricacies of, of the Bible and faith and theology, I would get annoyed or even some, in some way insulted when I would sit through sermons or, or discussions that were just the basics of the gospel over and over again. Like, come on, give me something more than this. I want to talk about word studies. I want to talk about how old the earth is. I want to talk about, I, I want to talk about all these finer details or, or whatever. And, we, and you, should, you should want to learn about these things. That's good. But never, never at the cost of the foundation of the gospel. I thought in my pride and immaturity that I had fully grasped the gospel and I would always remember all of it. Like I, w- I wouldn't have to be reminded. I get it. I understand the gospel. I don't need to be taught the gospel anymore. That's pride and immaturity. You never graduate from the gospel. You never move on from the basics. I mean, think, when I think of Israel, they, they, they had the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and they had to write it on their arms and on their heads and on their doors because they can't remember. We can't remember. We're humans. We need help remembering. And that's why Paul starts his statement in Philippians today with the word only. Only let your manner of life. This is the foundation of what their belief is. This is the foundation of what our belief is. If we only do one thing, let it be this. Let all of our life be a reflection of the fact that the gospel of Christ is our driving force. Let us walk in a manner that reflects the gospel of Christ. For those of us in Christ, if there is an area of our life in which we are not reflecting the gospel, it's not that the gospel is not at work in us. It's that we have forgotten what is true about us and what is true about God because the gospel is at work in you. I'm going to spend the rest of, the, of my time here reading some scripture to remind us of what God says about us and about himself in our lives so we can remember who we are and in doing so, may it help our manner of life be proven to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. If we are not standing firm in one spirit, we have forgotten how loving and faithful God is to his people and how standing firm will end in our deliverance. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. James 4, 6, and 7. But he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Romans 8, 26 through 31. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for, for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And if we are not of one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We have forgotten that we are united in Jesus Christ and through him we can have faith in God. Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. There's that, there's that phrase again. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain not create, maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Romans 12, three through six. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. Let us strive. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the, the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If we are frightened by anyone who would oppose us, we have forgotten that God cannot lose. God cannot be thwarted. He will win. In fact, he already has. Joshua 1, 7 through 9. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For, and this is why, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Exodus 14, 13, and 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. John 16, 31 through 33. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If our life is not a sign to those who oppose us of both our salvation and their destruction, We have forgotten that we are of his kingdom and not of this world. John 15, 18 through 25. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. John seventeen fourteen through 23. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, that you keep them from the evil one, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And this is, I included this part, because it's one of my favorites. (laughs) I do not ask for these only, that's the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And that's us that they may be all that they may all be one just as you father are in me and i in you that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me the glory that you have given me i have given to them that they may be one even as we are one i in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. 
I read all these scriptures, all these passages, not because we need to find out what we need to do to make them true about us. How can we, how can I make this true about me? No. They are already true about you. I read these passages today so we can remember how true they are and how much that matters. I say this with humility, as anything good in me is solely from Christ, but this reminder from me, from God, through me, is how we let our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We preach the gospel of Christ to ourselves. I preach it to you today, but I preach it to myself every other day of the week. And you should preach it to yourself every other day of the week, every day, every moment. By the power of that gospel that we preach to ourselves and to each other and its transformative work, our manner of life has become worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I pray that we can believe this and that we can remember it always. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your name is holy and you are good and you are kind to us and you have given us your gospel, your good news, your transformative work and we praise you for being a God who would do such a good thing. God, help us to remember. Help us to know and to believe that you are a good God who gives good things. And God, if we, if we aren't believers here this morning, if anyone's not a believer here this morning, I pray that they would hear this and be convicted. But also know that you are a good God who gives good gifts and that they would come to repentance, that they would submit to your way of life and receive your gospel and be transformed and be encouraged. And God, I pray that, that we as believers would be encouraged and that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, encourage and remind us of the good work that you have done, are doing, and will continue to do. Help us to know this and to trust in you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be over the